Morning, everyone. Nice to see you. As Kathy has just said, for those who don't know me, I'm the rector here in the parish, and it's great to, to preach to you this morning and have an opportunity to say hello after the service. I want to start off with a question. Always a good place to start when you're teaching. Do you have a favorite book in the Bible? You, you might be just getting familiar with the Bible, and it might not be very known to you, but do you have a favorite book in the Bible? Just for a moment, do you have one that you gravitate towards? My favorite book, or one of them, at least in, in the Bible, is not Philemon, because it's the shortest one. It's actually Luke, the one we've been working through over the last while here in the church. And why, why is Luke important to me, and I, I believe why is Luke important to us? Luke is one of those books in the Bible which, I have to admit, isn't the same with all the other books. It's one of the most accessible books in the Bible. It's written by Luke, who was a physician, and he basically wrote Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. But I love it for, for two reasons, and, and these reasons, at least two of them, will come out today. I love it because he speaks about one thing all the time in his book, in the Gospel of Luke, and that's grace. He's constantly mining the word grace all the way through his, his narrative and through his, his story about Jesus. And the second one is, it's probably the most simple book in the Bible in that it's a collection of stories that highlight the grace of God as seen through Jesus Christ. And so, if you are new to the Bible, it's a great place to start, or if you're struggling with reading the Bible, it's a really good one to actually pick up and read. And we're going to have one of those stories here today about the grace of God in the simplest way possible, but yet profound in the application of our lives. Today's story we'll read in a few seconds is actually two stories, but before I read it, I want to just ask you another question, and that is, have you ever lost something really, really important to you? When I was doing this at the 10 o'clock congregation, everyone was actually started talking to each other about the things that they lost, which was very interesting. But have you ever lost something that is really, really important to you? Have you, just think for a moment, something that you just couldn't find, and you wanted to find it, and it was frustrating, but then how did you feel when you found it, especially after looking at it for a long time? During the summer holidays, I had the blessing to be in the States with my family for a period of time and with my brother's family in the States. But we also had a couple of days in the west of Ireland uh, visiting Inish Turk, beautiful island at the west of Ireland. And before we went, the night before, um, I was chatting to one of my uh, family members, one of our children, and he, he, I've just said who it is, he, okay, so I'm trying to be anonymous with the stories, okay, so, um, Ethan, <laughs> um, so, yeah, anyway, Ethan asked me for, um, he said, look, Dad, can we bring the rugby ball, which, um, He's a very prized possession of his. It's actually a significant rugby ball and that it's one of the training balls from the IRFU and it was given to us on the back of the Six Nations Grand Slam to someone in primary school with Alana. 
And so Ethan wanted to bring the ball, I wanted to bring the ball, and when Ethan brought it into me, unfortunately it was, it was flat, because when we were away in the States, we hadn't been using it and hadn't pumped it up, so it was quite flat. So obviously you can't play rugby with a, a flat uh, ball. By the way, the Rugby World Cup starts next Sunday, so maybe we shouldn't have church at all. That's just a mental thought that came into my mind there. It's really what I'm thinking about, actually. So, um, The narrative of a preacher, the internal narrative. Anyway, I, 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 obviously we couldn't use the ball because it was flat. So to cut a long story short, um, I had to try and pump the ball up. But could I find the pump? No. So I eventually found the pump, but I couldn't find the little valve. You know those little valves that you pump rugby balls up? I couldn't find it anywhere. So I was looking in the utility room, I was looking in the sitting room, I was looking in, in the bathroom, I was looking all sorts of places and I said, ah, I bet you it's in the garage. And so I went about looking and pulling everything out of the garage and here's Dillis, my wife, looking going, what are you doing? You know, we can just buy a new one. And I said, no, I have to find this valve, you know, real man thing. So I pulled everything out and I couldn't find it and there underneath everything was a biscuit tin and in the biscuit tin, you know those biscuit tins you get at Christmas with all the biscuits in it, opened it up and there was the valve. Yes. Now, it didn't work, unfortunately, it was broken. So um, that's another. <laughs> Why I put it there, I don't know. But, but I do remember that moment of like searching and looking and trying to find and, and, and actually that moment of yes, I have found it, and there was, there was a genuine sense of joy in that moment. And today's passage that we'll read is all about uh, the joy that God feels uh, when He finds us. Now, God is different in that He, he knows where we are, and it, it's not that He doesn't know where we're, where we're at, but the purpose of this passage is that God is a God who is joyous, a God who seeks after us, a God who searches us, which is very different to the God which a lot of us have been brought up with. Certainly in, in my, my traditional background, uh, it was God was sometimes described as somebody don't come near, he's certainly not joyous, and he's certainly not looking for me. So that was very challenging through the, to the leaders of the day, the church leaders, and it can be challenging to us today. So let's, let's read out our passage. Um, it's from Luke 15, 1 to 10. It'll be on the screen here. And it's Jesus speaking uh, in this passage, obviously. Luke says, There were tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus decided to tell them a story or a parable. He says, which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and he rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Maybe turn me down a bit. Samantha's just woken up there. <laughs> just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. 
Or let me tell you another story, that woman who had 10 silver coins. If she loses one of them, does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Notice the beginning of the passage starts with the religious people who are grumbling, and I'll come back to that. In this passage and in the simple message of Luke about grace and stories that highlight the character of God, in this passage we learn very simply about the characteristics and, and nature of who God is. And Luke is constantly reminding people the simplicity of God. And he talks about two images which can be lost on us today of who God is and what his character is like. The first is the image of the shepherd. The shepherd, when we hear that image in urban Dublin and Dublin 6, we, we lose the significance of what that means. But a shepherd was someone in ancient society who was courageous and bold. He lived outside of the normal fabric of society in the countryside. He would have faced many dangers. But a key part of being a shepherd back then is that they spent all the time with the sheep, very different to today. They lived with the sheep. They knew the sheep. The sheep knew the voice uh, of the shepherd. And so this image of of God being painted as a shepherd is this beautiful image of, of a God who's intimate, a God who is close, a God who cares, and a God who will leave the 99 to go after the one. Now, this idea of a shepherd and a, and a God who loves his sheep was very different to what the religious leaders of the day had been to the people. They had not been good shepherds who loved the sheep. And so Jesus was really reorientating what God was like because he was challenging the religious people of the day that you actually haven't been the good shepherd and you haven't been loving the sheep. And there's a section in Ezekiel 34, which I don't have time to go into because we want to go back into, into worship, but essentially in Ezekiel 34, um, this is what... God is saying about the leaders of the day who had forgotten the sheep. He says, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd who loves them, and because you have plundered them, because you have left them to be food for the wild animals, because you have not searched for the flock, because you've not cared for the flock, I myself will shepherd the flock. I myself will tend the flock. I myself love the sheep, and I myself will search after the sheep. And so in this section of Luke, he is reorientating and pointing out how the religious leaders have failed the people in love and grace and the simplicity of God. They have left the people, and that Jesus is the good shepherd. And the religious people grumbled because he wasn't pointing to them. He was pointing to the simple God who left the 99 to go after the one. The second image that we see in this passage, which is just as profound, which we do get today, is that God is painted as a woman. God is painted as a woman who loses one of her rings, and she sweeps the house, 
and she lights a lamp and she searches around for that ring and when she finds it again like the shepherd she rejoices and she gathers her friends and her neighbors and said I've I found it and this idea of of the feminine aspect of God we, we know God as father so much of the Old Testament, Proverbs, for example, painted God in the feminine, the wisdom of God in the feminine. And so God exists beyond sex in male and female. But here we see one of the only chances that Luke was taking his life in his hands, using a woman to, a woman to talk about God. The religious people grumbled at that. But he's saying God is like this woman who, who wants to find this ring. And that's how much he loves you. And that's how much he cares for you. Now, this passage historically would have been taken with the third section of Luke, which was the prodigal son, that famous story we know, where the son leaves his, his father, he squanders his inheritance, and that famous image of the father running to meet the son. Do you, do you all know that story? You probably would have heard of it. Historically, they were meant to be together, uh, but for some reason, the Church of Ireland have separated it um, into two sections and one section, but I am bringing them back as three as one. And the reason they were meant to be three together is this. And this is really important. They were meant to be together for the simple reason of God is a God who searches, God is a God who cares, God is a God who pursues, and he loves you in that. He's not like the religious who grumble. But even more profound, when we take the shepherd and the woman and the, the, the father together, it paints a picture of a Trinitarian God. And that was Luke's intention. We have the shepherd who signifies Jesus, who searches after the sheep. He's looking, he's searching, he's seeking. Then we see the Holy Spirit, who is the light, who basically brings light in our lives, who brings out the darkness and shows us the darkness in our life. And then lastly, we have the Father who runs, runs after us in pursuit, because he's not passive, he's not inactive and the religious people grumbled at this. So this idea of seeing God in this three in one, the Son who searches, the Holy Spirit who brings light, the Father who runs is a very different view of how we see God. And all of these stories end in what word? Joy. They don't end in legalism or anger or bitterness. They end in all three of them. The, the shepherd saying, come on, friends and family, I've found the sheep. Or the woman saying, come on, friends and family, I've found the coin. Or the father saying, come on, friends and family, I've found the son. And so that's the nature of God. He's, he's seeking, he's pursuing, he's bringing light, he's chasing. He's not inactive or passive or separate. He is so involved that Luke loses these simple pictures of who God is. And so that's the first point of the passage today, the image of God and who he is and paints in those two images and also in the prodigal son story as well. But then Luke moves on to look at who we are. And there's a, a section of Luke here which is in very, very intentional in that he uses a few key words which are really important for us We've seen the image of God, the nature of God. This is about who we are. And we are, we are sinners. And when I say that word, straight away, you're going to hear that in a certain way. You're going to hear that word sinner in a certain way. 
I spent some time, and I think it's important just for a few moments we understand what that word sin actually means. When you hear it, I think of a billboard somewhere on, in, around Pier Street, like all our sinners are going to hell. And that's my abiding memories of child driving over to my granny's house and seeing that. Now, there is a component in, in sin which is about punishment, and it is about the fact that we have fallen short of the glory to God. Hold that in one place for a moment. But the Bible speaks about sin in 22 different ways. Now, I'm not going to go into all of them. I joked at the 10 o'clock that I would at the 11.30, but I won't. I'll do 21 of them. Okay, you ready? I don't want to go into all of them, but the Bible is very clear about the definition of sin, the origin of sin, and the consequences of sin. Now, we tend to gravitate just towards the punishment aspect, the Adam and Eve story, which is, is important. Humankind choose to move in their own reason against the promises of God, and there is consequences for that. That is a, the whole aspect of the cross and the redemption of person kind and the cross, a really vital part of sin. But let me just tell you a few other ways that sin is talked about in the Bible. It's talked about missing the mark. Matthew uses the idea of an archer who basically is doing his best to actually hit the mark. And he's trying to get the bullseye, but he misses the mark all the time. And the word is actually an honoring word. It's, it's a word which someone's doing their best, but they're missing the mark. And so what he's trying to say is that we can do our best in life, but we will always miss the mark. And only in, in Christ and through his activity do we essentially hit the bullseye. A couple of other ones. Sin is mentioned as, as a traveler who's uh, falling off the path or is on a journey and wandering off the path and doing their best to stay on the path. Sin is defined as crookedness, as rebelling, as trespassing, as debt. One of my favorite ones is sin as someone who's drunk and swerving. That's very Irish. But it means a whole different thing when in Luke's Gospel of Acts he says, these people are not drunk as you presume, rather they are filled with the Holy Spirit. He's saying these people aren't sinners as you presume, actually they're in God's covenant. But again, this idea of the swerving, the missing the mark. So let me bring this all together. What I'm trying to say is that many of us in Ireland have a view of sin about God is angry, God does not like you, you are not worthy. Now there is an aspect of the Bible that speaks very clearly about the idea of the consequences of sin, and that's important. We don't shy away from it because we would be immature if we did that. But Luke, he, he says, yes, there is sin, and yes, there is consequence to sin, but God is a God who initiates the searching, he initiates the light, and he is one who runs to you. And so when you engage with God, all of these people, when they are found, they become aware of their brokenness, of their sin, and then there is a, a welcoming home, a sense of reconnection. But it's really important that a lot of us think the other way around. We think that we are sinful people and we need to tiptoe to God and come to him and say, do you think you might forgive me? Or do you think, you know, I could, you know, come back home again? But no, Luke in this passage is painting God in a very different light as one who searches 
one who brings light, and one who runs. And from that, there is forgiveness, and there is acknowledgement of sin, and that's a very important aspect. And the religious people grumbled. The second word, and as we begin to wrap up then, is in this idea of being lost. Luke says that we're sinners, but he also says that we're lost. Many of us don't go around life thinking we're lost. Some of us have had experiences where we do feel lost and we run to God, and that's part of our conversion experience. But many of us don't feel lost. We don't feel in need of God. We don't, we don't, we don't feel that we don't need that aspect of grace. And this is where we do need to talk about, you know, sin, and we need to talk about are we the master of our own destinies and, and, and can we complete our own salvation? We need to be honest about that. But Luke is very clear and say, look, you, you are lost without Jesus. You, you are lost. But I'm not going to leave you lost. I'm going to find you. I'm going to search you out. I'm going to bring light to the situation and I am going to run after you. And one of the hardest things is to acknowledge that you feel lost. Isn't it? It's hard to actually say that. Many of us experience loss in very different ways, but we all experience loss. I love explorers and I love reading about famous explorers. One of my famous, one of my favorites is um, Ed Hillary, who climbed Everest in 1953. And as he was climbing, he came to Camp 3 and he was totally lost. He didn't know where he was going. And he kept going, he kept going, until they got to the Lhotse face, which is a sheer bit. And he turned to some of his colleagues, his close friends, and said, look, I'm actually lost. I don't know where I'm going. Obviously, no one's climbed it. And in that moment in his memoirs, he said, one of the key moments was not getting to the summit, but it was acknowledging I was lost and I needed help when I was lost. That's what Luke is trying to say here, in that God searches God brings light, God runs, but there does need to be an acknowledgement from us in our need of him. So N.T. Wright says this in closing. This passage was extremely controversial to the religious of the day. Pharisees were grumbling because for Pharisees, coming to God was all about following the rules and being Jewish at the time. But Jesus was totally reorientating everything. He was moving from law to grace. It wasn't about those who were righteous, but those who knew they were lost and broken and the need to be found and open to being found. And so they turned around or repent as we know the word. And that's the last word which is most common in this passage, the turning around and the repentance. But it's not because we feel we tiptoe to God. Rather, we acknowledge that he runs to us. And so what I'd like us to do is, is we're going to continue in our, in our worship and finish out our time. But I'd like to just ask you a couple of questions and ask you to ponder on the simplicity of this passage and who we see God to be. Do you need to repent? Take that religious word and park it. Do you need to turn around? 
it might not even be to God, it could be to someone you know, it could be to yourself. Maybe for some of us for the first time in becoming a Christian, or maybe it's someone who has been on the journey of faith for a long time. Because turning around is really important, but you must realize that before you turn around, and in the prodigal son story, the father was already watching and waiting and then running as the son turned around. And in our passage today, it speaks of a shepherd who went and searched after the lost long before they knew they were lost. And then I'd also love to challenge you with your view of God. And is he the one who's aloof and detached? Or is he and she the one that searches after you and is the lover of your soul and is one filled with joy as he meets you again? So I'm just going to ask Debbie play for a few moments to honestly think what I've said and let it ponder in your heart. And then the guys will finish out our time with some worship songs. So Father, I thank you for the simplicity of Luke. We don't want to be like the religious people of the day who keep people away from you. We want to be a community that brings people home to you. Lord, we have missed the mark. We have fallen away. We, we are lost and we are in need of turning around and we thank you in Christ that that's true and I pray where everyone or wherever anyone is at today that they will see Jesus searching they will feel the spirit bringing light and they will see the father running to them and I pray this in Jesus name